I'm Bucky. I'm Izzy. And this is Under Deconstruction. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode. Uh, we're excited to be here today to kind of continue the conversation um, and pick up from where we left off last time, talking about first the art of life, then the art of death, and what comes after. So today, I'm the way I think of it, uh, the transition here today is that, you know, what we talked about last time, if you want to take a look at our last episode, had a lot to do with different cultural views on death. Um, and basically, all in all, how there's a wide variety of views on and approaches to death as a concept. Um, some are very positive. Uh, some are more negative and fearful. Uh, people around the world operate from very different spaces when thinking about death. But we all are doing one thing in common, and that is anticipating it. And the only reason anyone would anticipate death is because we're all wondering what comes after it. Now, that's a very, very broad question. And obviously, we there's no way we could, you know enumerate every possibility and you know we could sit here for hours and we'd never even come close probably to what really is but I thought it'd be interesting for us to kind of speculate on our own uh, ideas about this Um, I have some theories we can talk about how uh, religion and spirituality play a role in different conceptions of the afterlife what does it mean if there's maybe nothing Um, what does it mean for you know, our personal sense of faith or spiritualities, um, how does that inform, you know, what we think happens after we die? So I guess to start it off, um, I would just ask you, Bucky, if you have any um, starting thoughts of maybe, I know you've thought about this a lot, like what, what do you mean when you say you thought about this a lot? Like what, what are the thoughts that come to mind at first? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with my personal journey just in general through kind of my understanding of life and reality and I don't know for me the reason why I say that I have thought about it a lot is because I don't know most I think the the weirdest part about me (laughs) that's always been the case is been the fact that um that I've I like thinking about these types of things (laughs) like I I like I, I, it's just my draw towards philosophy in general, but like I right. really do enjoy thinking about um, just abstract ideas and concepts and trying to like figure out ways that they can work together and you know just having trying to find the essences of things and um, mm-hmm. I've always found that if you can you know the more clarity you can get on foundational parts of life such as death for example the more uh, clarity you can get on these topics the better you're able to actuate your entire life because you're you're building actually a a more clear and stronger foundation upon which you can build your life because you have a better understanding of key tenets but mm-hmm. anyways moving back to death in particular um i think for me, death has been interesting just because I, you know, was raised in a household initially that was on my mom's side, Catholic on my dad's side, Christian. And 
I had a little bit of that type of a mixed upbringing in my early years. And then, but I was given a lot of freedom in terms of my choosing of uh, spiritual identity, if you will. And um, so then I moved kind of out of that place in, into a more agnostic, atheistic mindset, I would say, between 16 to 22, three-ish years old, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and right around when I was like 15 or 16 is when I started reading philosophy. And so at that point, I was agnostic and atheistic. And as I moved through college and learned more about philosophy, I, I minored in philosophy. Um, I, I had no, no problems with the agnostic mindset, you know, the mindset of kind of assuming and resting in the place of thinking that, you know, once you die, nothing, that's it, (laughs) you know, you're dead. And, uh, that's kind of the end of it. And you had your, your dance in the sun and then you, you know, evaporate back into whatever. Um, so that was kind of my view in college but I think that that viewpoint never sat with me very well um it always kind of seemed it didn't it it never it didn't answer the question that I was trying to find an answer for it um it figured out a trick of it was like using a trick of the mind (laughs) in order to um you know make me settle down in terms of trying to quest to find answers in that realm you know interesting yeah um yeah it was almost like a pacifying kind of a mindset where it's like this is too great of a thing (laughs) like this is too much of an affront to my understanding of who I am to I just have with it yeah, like, I just have to accept that I'm, like, I was in a mindset of, it's like, you know what, this is, I wouldn't have said this at the time, but looking back on my, that mindset that I had at the time, that from now, it was, it's obvious to me now that I just viewed the task as too daunting, and so, um, and that was being reaffirmed by things I was reading from other people who were also atheistic or agnostic, mm-hmm. um, and so it just, it was almost like too... Uh, Mount, it was like Mount Everest and I was like not down to climb Mount Everest, you know, mm-hmm. exactly, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I'm kind of rambling. Um, but basically to sum this up, the reason I enjoyed or from that point forward, um, I continued to poke and continued to prod and continued to poke and prod and was never really okay with that. Um, the agnostic settling. And so um you know, at it, there was a, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but um, it was probably the most significant uh, moment in my life was, I think, in 2015, if I remember correctly, 2016, 2015, something like that, um, where I had an experience where, I, I mean, I was completely sober, nothing in my system whatsoever, um, like, just a normal night (laughs) it was very late at night and I just had an experience that was um not it it didn't fit into any form of logic or reason that I could (laughs) use to define it by and it was it, it was just an experience that was so beyond um uh 
making a logic. I mean, it, it was it's almost like super logic or something. I don't know. It was it was an experience that was so removed from the realm of anything else in my life that I thought was normal that um, it kind of spurred me in a certain direction. But um, I guess the closest thing I could describe or the closest thing that I had experienced to it beforehand, before this experience, that also kind of allowed my mind to become more fluid in terms of thinking that there's something else going on in this reality and that there is, in fact, something after death um, have been my experiences with uh, psychedelics and even cannabis. The first time I ever smoked cannabis when I was 17 years old or something, um, I, my, like I, I could see like in my mind, I could see music for the first time. So like, instead of music, just making sounds and, you know, sounding interesting, um, it was almost like my auditory faculty connected to my visual cortex or something. And so I was able to like visually in my mind to see like artwork being created by the music I'm listening to. Right. Uh, and so that first experience was the first like, okay, there's something else going on here. And then psychedelics later down the line then really showed me, okay, to hold an agnostic point of view at this point is to um, blind myself to certain, <laughs> certain evidences in my life that have shown other things right to deny um, the things that you've seen yeah i mean this again like i'm approaching my life has been a purely scientific endeavor in terms of i follow the scientific method but i use that i use the scientific method through myself like i use my body and my life as a science project kind of in a certain type of way right um to i like to know for myself through my own in my own experience, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, I want to get, I want to ask you from this point forward or from what I've kind of just set up, I've, what I'm kind of trying to explain is that there's certain experiences in life that exceed the boundary limits of like what you determine as possible. And for me, those are the things that created my impetus into wanting to think even more about death and what comes after death and what, read all of these religious texts and you know I was never really attached to any particular one and so by reading all of them I was able to get a pretty good understanding and see the truth underlying all of them yeah um, but before we go further into that I want to just ask you in your case what was what what is kind of not enticed but caused you to think about death and what are your thoughts on death and you know, just beyond what we talked about in the past one about um, the different cultural views of death, but what is your own personal kind right. of yeah. view on it? Yeah. Um, well, I think similarly, I was raised in sort of a vaguely, I would say, um, uh, Christian in a more structured way when I was younger and then opened up to more vaguely sort of, I guess you could call it humanist type philosophies um and just sort of a um i think my mom hoped that i would believe in god in some way and um i kind of went through that um agnostic uh phase as a a teenager and a young adult and then um but never really i think i thought about death then as a more 
um, sort of as a singular event, um, like, oh, no, I'm scared. And then, oh, no, I'm learning to be okay with the eventuality that I will die and that the people around me will die. And, you know, that reality. Um, So it was more about battling with that, which a lot of people, I think, go through um, and coming to terms with that. Um, Not too much speculation about what would happen afterward, actually. Um, And obviously, I had the conception of heaven, which was handed to me from my Christian background. and, And I knew that that ran through some other religions as well as a common thread. But other than that, I never really thought much about it. Um, and, you know, now having been, uh, Muslim for now, what, four years since 2016, um, I do believe that there is something I can't do that. There's nothing after it just ends because similar to what you've said, there's too many instances that I've, that I know of. Um, and some that I'm sure I will experience myself, but some are that I've heard from people like that just defy the logic of our um, mortal existence on this plane. And like you said, with the sort of super logic thing is like there must be some further explanation that I am not capable of grasping, at least at this point or maybe ever Um Maybe humans aren't meant to be able to grasp it. Maybe it's something we achieve later in understanding. You know, maybe it's something, you know, depending on what your belief system is, like that God or some kind of transcendent power will always know the logic of and you are not, you don't need to know it. Or maybe you're supposed to seek it and that's the journey. You know, you could go a lot of ways with that. But all of that, the undercurrent is that there is something else. There are other things beyond just living as a human in a body and dying in a body like there there are too many things for me personally and clearly for you that indicate otherwise that that we have to spend our lives at least wondering what could it be so you know a lot of this the rest of this conversation just to be clear is probably going to operate from that space so you know we can come back to I guess talking about you know other theories but just going forward we're we're kind of operating under that assumption that there's something else or there are other things beyond this existence that we're you know sitting in living in right now so from that place i would say that recently i i would say in the last couple years um i've come to develop this sort of theory and progress about what I think happens or may happen or what I speculate could happen after we die. Ooh, Um, I'm interested. Yeah. That's supposed to tie together every possibility from the sort of, uh, agnostic or, uh, to the, you know, vaguely spiritual to the devoutly religious, you know, I think that it could tie all of the truths that people have been sort of, told um and experienced and still remain true for everybody so the the basis of this theory which i can like slowly get into this because i'll probably start going off and it won't make any sense the the basis of this conversation about this theory starts with 
what is heaven, if anything? Um, and, or, you know, any other version of what, you know, kind of experience you may have when you die. Some religions talk about heaven and hell um, and in between. Um, some people believe that there's just sort of this um, vague otherworldly oneness that you like return to or become a part of. Some people believe you're reincarnated. Um, but all in all those scenarios, you have to pass through something to get to, you know, figure out what it is that, that you're going through. Um, whether you return, you know, at the day of judgment or you are reincarnated or nothing happens, there's some space that you're passing through. Space being a very vague term that I don't know what it means even because I probably can't even conceive of that dimension or whatever, but there's some space. And so one thing that I've noticed is in a lot of the like major religions the abrahamic religions whatever um there is a very visceral very human very mortal description of heaven right you have the you know rivers flowing no one's ever thirsty or hungry and you know you have complete all of your pleasures like in a worldly sense are met right and there's this complete restoration of and you want for nothing and that's sort of the the idea of what you will attain and on first glance that if you're taking that completely literally I would think unless you grew up in a religion and were really devout to it like personally having moved around a lot religiously I have a hard time just saying okay yeah you're right there will literally be you know me eating food and drinking and having a good time and having like I, I have a really hard time processing that because that just seems too normal and human and kind of ridiculous in a way not to sound offensive I'm so sorry I mean I believe in heaven but let me get to what I mean so um what I've been wondering is similarly to the concept of heaven there's a discussion at least that I understand in Islam about how to interpret what we read. And one uh, description I've heard is that, you know, this text has been written for us in a way that anyone from the most learned scholar, you know, who dedicates their life to, to understanding the faith and, and, and science and everything else to the, you know, poor illiterate person that will never maybe know anything, but what is read to them to the person who can read but doesn't have a higher, you know, learned understanding of um, maybe some of the bigger terminology in, in the text. All of those people should be able to learn and know the right things to do to live the best, you know, life according to what we are told is the, the ways to do that. So in that scenario, things like hellfire and abundant rivers and overflowing with you know whatever and worldly pleasures and all that stuff in heaven all that stuff can be used to tell a varying message depending on who you are so if you know hardly anything except 
just the bare bones what the text says and you are thinking there's a literal hellfire that you're going to you know go to and be banished to if you mess up on these 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 things you're going to do the things that are you're told that will lead to the you know best life for you out of fear of a literal hellfire but if you are you know a very well-read person who spends their life reading and researching and understanding you know metaphor and more complex meanings and other religions and kind of all this spirituality and maybe you know trying to get in touch with you know your faith in in more metaphysical ways like all that higher order stuff you may be able to glean that the real meaning there is there doesn't need to be a literal fire there doesn't need to be literal rivers running with you know whatever and people feeding you and everything being pleasurable that doesn't need to be real or in the sense of exactly like it is on earth in order for it to hold meaning so maybe the only way for god to convey the sense of complete wholeness and connectedness and healing and um security of moving into the afterlife having lived your life well maybe the only way to describe that is through visceral human things that we will understand so simply you could say it's a metaphor but more i think it's more complex than that i think it can be real these descriptions of heaven but in a way that we don't understand so if any of that makes sense i guess i'll stop there for a second and talk about ask you what you think about the conception of um the different places that people may go when they die like what do you think about because you've read yeah. a lot about all these different faiths We'll yeah, no, I think, talk about that. I think um, your rendition in terms of interpreting it is, I think, spot on. Um, I think you're speaking to what in my kind of, uh, you know, digesting of it would be dimensionality, essentially. And I think, uh, you know, having read many of the religious texts of many religions and different cultures and a lot of ancillary texts that are, I think in a lot of ways, even more intense. Um, they all, any, any book that is of a high spiritual pedigree or of a high has, that has a lot of depth to it is a book that is working in a multidimensional way. And so, you know, all of the major religions, their major books are multidimensional books in the sense that, like you were kind of saying, there's something in it for the layman. There's something in it for the student. There's something in it for the, you know, avid researcher. There's something in it for everybody. And it actually, what the books themselves are encapsulating is actually the truth itself that is the central tenet that they're trying to get across and you're absolutely correct i also believe that um it's it is a filtering down of sorts so when i say that it's dimensional or multidimensional, it means that the denser <laughs> the level of consciousness the more 
objective the reading will be of the text. So if you're someone who hasn't developed this side of your brain as much, or, you know, it's not a bad thing. It just means you haven't worked with it as much. You haven't worked it out. Like you haven't gone to the gym or something like that. You know, it's the same principle. Um, If you haven't, you know, worked out this muscle in your brain, um, it's very difficult to see the multifaceted, multidimensional layers to these texts. And, you know, you'll have, parts of the texts in the beginning that are laying down a metaphor that actually are contributing to a metaphor that exists 10 chapters later that once you read that you're supposed to be able to you know remember and recall the passage from 10 chapters ago that complete a um you know an image in your mind or a symbol in your mind or a metaphor and so you know when you are at that level of analysis (laughs) it's a little bit different than when you're trying to read it just to read it you know, what do I eat today? What do I, what am I not supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Exactly. And um, unfortunately, most of these texts have been, um, you know, written and rewritten and rewritten and rewritten over and over and over hundreds of years. And so the, the degradation or erosion of a text is most apparent at the objective dense level Mm -hmm. of, of understanding. So unfortunately, that means the people who need it the most, which are the people who, um, you know, haven't been privileged enough to gain access to this, like, higher way of knowing these texts, because mm-hmm. they just haven't been taught it. Um, and it's not their fault. They just haven't been given opportunity in a lot of cases. Um, you know, unfortunately for them, they're getting not only the densest rendition of the information, but they're also, it's also the most corrupted and the most corroded because it's been um, digested through so many different languages at so many different times that it's um, lost a lot of its objective meaning. Right. Or even a book like the Quran that has existed in the same language this whole time and hasn't gone through that same language corruption that for example, the Bible has the oral tradition of explaining things in a certain way and the schools of thought that are born out of that shape the way that many people are taught what is written to the point where some people are yeah basically reading and understanding an altered an altered truth so then it's not the truth anymore which is difficult exactly hey there everybody bucky here thank you for listening to part one of our podcast We will be releasing part two next week. This podcast just ran long and we wanted to break it up for you guys so you didn't have to spend an hour plus listening to our conversation all in one sitting. So hopefully you'll tune in next week and join us for part two. I think part two of this particular podcast on both Izzy and I's beliefs on what happens after death might be even more interesting than the the first half that you just listened to. So I hope you can all join us next week for our second half of the podcast. But as for now, I appreciate you all listening and I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Thank you.